Welcome again to church. We, uh, we're really excited and blessed to have you guys here tonight. Not sure what, what brings you here, whether it's the first time you've been here or you keep coming back, uh, but we're grateful that, that you're here. Blessed to have you here tonight. I really believe that God's going to speak something and, and do something special in our hearts and our lives tonight. Um, a couple quick announcements, some stuff going on at Zootown. Um, once again, we are not just a Thursday night church. This is our church here on Thursday nights. But we have another campus with another pastor on another day. Uh, Sunday mornings across town, right behind Paradise Falls, uh, is uh, our other campus. And Pastor Scott, the founder of this church, he preaches there every Sunday morning, 9 and 11. And over at that campus tomorrow night, uh, we're having uh, our first ever, we're calling it Holiness Night, because we're really creative at Zootown. And uh, we tried to think of something, but we're like, we just want it to be like a holy night. So we're calling it Holiness Night. Um, it's just going to be a night where there's not going to be preaching and teaching. It's just going to be some, some just kind of mellow worship and opportunity for prayer and to read your Bibles and to, to pray for people, pray for the sick, and uh, just kind of just let God do his thing. Show up with not much of agenda other than we want to seek him, we want to spend some time with him. Uh, so tomorrow night at 7 o'clock, we'd love to have you join us at our other campus. And uh, I know it's Friday night, there's a lot going on, um, but we'd love to still invite you to come hang out with us and just uh, spend some time in the presence of the Lord. Um, coming up this Saturday as well, or sorry, this Sunday at six o'clock is going to be our Zootown Underground Dinners, uh, where it's, it's our underground, our ages 18 to 28, uh, young adults ministry. There's a sign up tonight if you want to be involved in, in a, a young adult dinner, an underground dinner. And then at this time, as opposed to last times, at eight o'clock, dinners will be wrapped up and all the dinners will head to our other campus and it's going to be a movie night at 8 p.m. Um, I don't know what movie is going to be showing on Sunday night, um, but you guys are all welcome. Uh, if you want to sign up for dinner, sign-ups are there tonight, and, and dinners are a great opportunity for one, just to, to fellowship. There's something powerful that happens when uh, we break bread together and hang out, spend some time together, build relationship outside of the church walls, and so we'd love to have everybody uh, be a part of that, but also it's a great opportunity to invite people that uh, don't yet know Jesus, aren't yet involved in this church. Uh, it's a great step to get them to know some, some of the people that come here, uh, and it's a great introduction to, to leading them to the person of Jesus. So we encourage you to, to invite, sign up tonight uh, back there. And then next week, um, we've got uh, One Accord. Is that on Tuesday night? Next Tuesday night, One Accord is a citywide uh, worship service, and uh, it's going to be hosted at Zootown at our other campus, and uh, it's, the whole city is going to show up, and it's just going to be uh, a time of worship. And it's going to be a ton of fun. So we'd love to have you next Tuesday night at 7 o'clock uh, as well. If you have your Bibles tonight, you can open them up to John. And we're going to go to chapter 18 of the book of John. We, uh, we're in the middle, actually near the end of a series here on Thursday nights called From Simon to Peter. Uh, this, this study, this, this case study of this guy named Simon. He's born Simon, which means unstable, inconsistent. Uh, like a reed blowing in the wind. And then Jesus calls him, and, and he becomes one of Jesus' closest followers, and Jesus changes his name from Simon to Peter. And Peter means rock, it means stable. And we see this guy, Simon, uh, make this dramatic transition, not just in his name, but in his behavior. He becomes one of the patriarchs of, of the church. Uh, he, he, he preaches and thousands get saved. He's the early, early church pastor. Amazing miracles happen through his ministry. And what's awesome and encouraging about this guy is, is Acts chapter 4, verse 13 even tells us that he's just an ordinary guy. He's not this extra special talented guy that we can't relate to. It says he had no special training in the scriptures. The only thing that set him apart that allowed him to transition from Simon to Peter was the fact that he spent time with Jesus. It's so encouraging because we all have that opportunity that we can spend time with Jesus. That your effectiveness isn't just based on, on the talents you were born with or what education level you've been through or how long you've known Jesus. That if you decide to spend time with Jesus, that he can use you and he wants to use you uh, to do great things for him. So we're looking at these interactions between this guy named Jesus and this guy named Simon Peter. Tonight we're going to look at another one. In fact, because we're trying to be brief and wrap up this series uh, before we jump into a summer series, uh, tonight we're combining three messages into one. Uh, and you guys already know how long I can preach, uh, so I hope you're ready to hang out till midnight. Um, no, we're going we're gonna to try to be brief and concise and get you out of here at an appropriate time and then do it again at 9 o'clock. 
Uh, we're going to look at a few interactions here tonight, starting here in the book of John, chapter 18, and we're going to start just in verse 1. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn to it. If not, we've got it on the screen. It says this, after saying these things, Jesus crossed the Kidron Valley with his disciples and entered a grove of olive trees. This is where we talked about last week, where, where Peter falls asleep when he's supposed to be praying. John's account just bypasses the whole prayer season. And in verse 2 says, Judas the betrayer knew this place because Jesus had often gone there with his disciples. The leading priests and Pharisees had given Judas a contingent of Roman soldiers and temple guards to accompany him. Now with blazing torches, lanterns, and weapons, they arrived at the olive grove. Jesus fully realized all that was going to happen to him, so he stepped forward to meet them. Jesus is such a boss. He knows exactly what's about to happen. And rather than cowering and hiding, he just squares his shoulders, and he steps up, and he walks towards them. He's got soldiers he's got the roman soldiers they've got weapons they got lanterns they got torches they're here ready for battle jesus he, he speaks up and says who are you looking for jesus asked verse 5 says jesus the nazarene they replied i am he jesus said judas who betrayed him was standing with them as jesus said i am he they all drew back and fell to the ground once more he asked them who are you looking for i found so much humor in this today because Jesus, uh, he says, I am he. And there's so much power in Jesus identifying his divinity. It's the same statement, I am, that we find Moses in the burning bush where God says, I am. That Jesus steps up and he says, I am God. I am he. And at the name of Jesus, at the name of his divinity, all of these soldiers, they, they, they cower back and they, they fall down. And I can just see them as they, 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 they scramble to get back up. These big, full-grown men, soldiers. Uh, these, these are tough guys. And they just like broke lanterns and their torches are like lighting trees on fire. And, and this, this chaotic scene is they get up and they try to gather themselves and dust themselves off and, and try to get dignified again. Jesus, Jesus says, come again? Like, who are you looking for? And I love like he's, they've got to be bracing themselves for the next time they say, uh, we're looking for Jesus. Because he says, uh, they all fall down. He says, who, who again are you looking for? They said, we're looking for Jesus, the Nazarene. Verse 8, he says, I told you that I am he. And since I am the one you want, let these others go. He did this to fulfill his own statement. I did not lose a single one of those you've given me. Then Simon Peter drew a sword. We read earlier that uh, the disciples have a cumulative total of two swords. And of course, somehow Peter finds his way holding one. Jesus has got to be looking around like, Peter, how did we let Peter get one of our two swords? Like, Andrew, you are, you're the more uh, constrained brother, and please take the sword from Peter. But Peter, he has one of these two swords, and it says he draws the sword. It says that he goes and, and he slashed off the right ear of Malchus, the high priest's slave. Now, it doesn't clearly indicate this in Scripture, but I have, I don't know, a hunch that Peter wasn't aiming for the ear. Um, I got a feeling that Peter was coming out swinging for the fences, ready to take off some heads, and the guy dodged enough to get the ear. He wasn't just this precise little, let me just get your ear, and now that's how tough I am. Uh, Peter is coming out swinging. Thankfully, for Malchus's sake, he's got uh, enough ninja-like reflexes to just let his right ear get chopped off. He slashes off Malchus's, the, the high priest's slave's ear. Verse 11 says, but Jesus says to Peter, Put your sword back into its sheath. Shall I not drink from the cup of suffering the Father has given me? Which is so interesting to think about what we were studying last week. Just moments before Jesus is praying, is there any way that this cup can pass? And now, after spending time with Jesus, or time with God in prayer, Jesus, fully submissive to the purposes of God, says, shall I not drink this cup? He, he boldly decides to walk forward in the plans that God has for him as he spent time in prayer. Would you turn to Luke chapter 22 with me? This, this story that we just read, it's found in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You can go read uh, the other two. We're looking at just John's and Luke's tonight, but all four give some interesting details and different perspective of the same story. But I want to look at Luke chapter 22, starting in verse 47, his take on the story. It says, but even as Jesus said this, a crowd approached, led by Judas, one of the 12 disciples. Judas walked over to Jesus to greet him with a kiss. But Jesus said, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? When the other disciples saw what was about to happen, they exclaimed, Lord, should we fight? We brought the swords. 
which is hilarious again, there is an army of Roman soldiers and 11 fishermen and tax, collect, tax collectors with two swords. Like, uh, should we fight? Should we? We've brought our two swords and we're ready to go. But in verse 50, before Jesus even has a chance to respond to the question, should we fight? Before he even responds, says one of them, which we come to find out is, is Peter, struck the high priest's slave, slashing off his right ear. But Jesus said, no more of this. And he touched the man's ear and healed him. Jesus, as, as Peter goes for the sword, chops off this guy's ear, Jesus' response to him, if you combine these two accounts, he says, stop, no more of this, put the sword away. I want to talk to you tonight on the subject of no more of this, and how oftentimes our approach to a situation is much like Peter's, and what Jesus would tell us tonight is, put the sword away, no more of this. Would you bow your heads, pray, and we'll look at this a little bit more in depth. Father, we love you. We thank you uh, for your grace. I pray that tonight, regardless of what our history is, how long we've been coming to church, those of us that maybe are even in church for the first time in a long time or the first time ever, God, regardless of our history, of our story, I pray that tonight every single one of us would see the goodness, the grace, and the generosity of Jesus, because we can never be the same when we get touched by your grace. Let this be far more than just information. Let us, by the power of your Holy Spirit, just impart the truths of who Jesus is and let it change us tonight. Father, I'm grateful for your word. I'm grateful for the, the privilege, the opportunity that it is to, to speak your word, to be together in this church. Uh, God, it's really hot in here, so I pray that we can pay attention, we can stay awake, and uh, I pray that the person sitting next to us put on double deodorant tonight. We love you. You're an awesome God. It's your name we gathered, and it's your name we pray. And Zootown said... Hey Amen. We will survive the heat. And it's only May. Uh, we got more heat coming, so uh, we, will, we will endure. As a parent, um, it's amazing how often you make the statement to your children, no more of this. Uh, oftentimes, it's not those exact words. It's like, what are you doing? You must understand that that is, that is not okay. Uh, this, is, this is a commonplace. Even today when I, I, I called Danny and I was like, hey, I'm going to talk on the subject tonight of no more of this, and I'd like to think of a couple examples of our kids where we've had to tell them no more of this, and just stories are coming to, to our minds. And even after I did that, tonight, right before we ate dinner, uh, just, I mean, this is literally less than two hours ago, we took this picture uh, of Berkeley, and, and this is Charlie screaming at the table because Berkeley is flogging her with a stick. Like, Berkeley, put the sword away. Put the sword back in your sheath. No more of this. Uh, Berkeley is consistently beating Charlie up. But we have, we have these conversations with our children all the time. Uh, of, you need to stop doing that. And we find ourselves explaining things that I can't believe I have to explain to another human being. Like, please stop pulling your sister's hair out with your toes. That's not okay. Uh, stop doing that. Uh, Berkeley, please stop eating chalk. It's gross. She's like, yeah, I know. <laughs> and keeps eating. What are, you, what are you doing? Please quit playing with deer turds. Those are not toys. She's like, you want to squish it? She says that to us. Like, no, I don't want to squish it. And no, I don't want you to continue playing with deer turds. Things that you can't believe you have to explain to another human. No, we, we, we are not throwing rocks at windows. No, you do not hold your sister's head underwater in the bathtub. That's not okay. Like, quit doing that. We have these conversations all the time. We see Jesus here having this conversation with Peter. Like, no, that is not the way we do things, Peter. Quit doing this. Put the sword away. That is, not, that is not my intention, that is not my plan, that is not my personality, that is not my purpose. And Jesus has this, this statement, no more of this to Peter. Once again, in, in John chapter 18, we, we see Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's just got done toiling in prayer. He just had Peter fall asleep three times. And if you were here last week, we talked about that. And how even at the end where Peter was sleeping the whole time, Jesus, when he had every right to discard Peter, he includes him. He says, get up, let's go. We got work to do. He includes Peter. And then as he says, let's go, my betrayer is coming. We pick up with Judas and these Roman soldiers and these religious leaders walking towards Jesus with, with swords, with torches, with lanterns. They are coming here to arrest Jesus. And Jesus, he he sees it, and he steps forward and says, who are you looking for? They say, we're looking for Jesus. He says, I'm he. They all fall down. They all get back up. And he says, once again, who are you looking for? 
They say Jesus. And check out verse 8 is where we're going to jump to. Jesus says, I told you that, that I am he, Jesus said. And since I'm the one you want, let these others go. Jesus says, take me, let them go. This is, this is the simplest form of the gospel that we believe in. That Jesus makes this statement, take me, let them go. He says this to Peter, our case study, but he says this even still to us today. That when we have every right to be bound and have to pay for our sins, pay for our punishment, pay for our crimes, pay for our selfishness, that Jesus, his response is, no, 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 take me, let, let them go. That this, this, is, this is the gospel. That although Jesus had done nothing wrong, he didn't deserve to be, to, to be arrested, he didn't deserve to be beaten, didn't deserve to be crucified and killed, he took it willingly. He walked towards it and said, no, please take me. But when you take me, that means you let these others go. I want to tell you tonight, church, that Jesus, he walked towards that cross and he said, take me so that you could be set free. I don't know what you're bound by. I don't know what sins, what addictions, what pains, what past that you've gone through, what abuse you've suffered. But Jesus says, no, take me. Let me suffer the punishment. Let me take the pain. Let me take the weight so that they can be free. That when you look at your bondage tonight, and you may think that you deserve it, maybe something that you've done or someone else has done to you, Jesus says, I have come so that, that I can take your place. I will take the heat. I will take the weight. I will take the punishment so that you can be free. And I believe that when Scripture says it, it means it that he who the Son sets free is free indeed. There's freedom for you in Jesus. Not because you or I have earned it or deserved it, but simply because Jesus said, take me. This is the gospel that has captivated us, that I hope and pray captivates you and captivates this city, that Jesus says, take me, let them go. Who are we to, to continue to try to earn what Jesus has already paid for? But we see Peter. He has just heard Jesus say, take me, let, let him go. He's given Peter freedom. Rather than walking in the freedom and the grace that Jesus has just offered him, we see Peter reach for his sword. And we see in verse 10, it says, Peter, he draws the sword and he takes a swing and he cuts off the right ear of Malchus, the high priest's slave. I did my best to just try to put myself in, in Peter's situation. Imagine what was going through his heart, what was going through his mind. This has been a really intense week, and especially since dinner the night before. It's gotten really intense. And imagine what Peter is going through in this moment. He's heard Jesus talk about being betrayed. He's heard Jesus talk about being killed. He couldn't believe it. He couldn't buy into it. But now he awakens from his sleep. And he begins to see the situation unfolding around him. Pieces begin to fall into place. He sees Judas. No one could believe that any one of those 12 disciples, any one of them would be the one to betray. But now he sees Judas. And imagine the betrayal that Peter is feeling. The rage dwelling up inside of him like this. I never thought this would actually happen. I didn't believe what Jesus was saying was true, but it starts to fall into place. And he can't believe that his friend Judas is the guy leading the charge and that the religious leaders are here to arrest Jesus. And this rage boils up inside of him and he begins to take action. But Jesus turns to him and he says, put the sword back in its sheath. He says, no more of this. That Peter, this, this reaction, as understandable as it might be in our human context, Jesus tells him, this is, this is not what I want from you. This is not the reaction I desire. Don't do this. No more of this. Put your sword away. What's interesting to me is Peter taking out his sword is, is after all the other guys had fallen back at the name of Jesus. That Jesus' words have just put all of the army on their backs, and now Peter thinks his one sword is gonna do something. What is amazing to me is how often we fall into that same trap. That my efforts, that my strength, my defending of Jesus is what's gonna make a difference against the battle in my life. What is amazing to me is we see so clearly here, and it's a consistent it's consistency throughout scripture, that it's not our works and our efforts that attain the victory. 
What we see here, what, what changed the situation, what knocked all the guards back was not a fight, was not a sword, was not effort, was not work. It was the name of Jesus. The very fact that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. It says that his name is what causes every knee to bow. We see it in this garden. It was not efforts. It was not fighting. It was not a sermon. It was not a service that changed everything. It was the name of Jesus. I believe that in our lives there may be an enemy or there is a community of people that need to bow to the, to the person of Jesus and you need to know that that doesn't come by your efforts, by you taking out the sword. The way that we see this city bow their knees to Jesus is when we lift up the name of Jesus. That it's his name that causes knees to bow. Who are we to feel like it's, it's, a, it's a better church service, it's a better sermon, it's a better facility, it's, it's better music. Now, all that stuff is great and they are a part of it, but we are doing all of those things to lift up the name of Jesus. We as a church and we as individuals must make much of Jesus. That we could go out swinging our swords and get nothing done. And in fact, Jesus tells us, stop doing that. Or we could simply lift up the name of Jesus. And when the name of Jesus is spoken, there is power. It causes knees to bow. It causes those opposed to him to crumble in his presence. That what we must be passionate about is lifting up the name of Jesus. Peter, he's just fought. And once again, he's relied on his own strength and his own efforts. And Jesus tells him to stop once again. It's like, Peter, we've been working on this for like three years now. You need, to, you need to learn, you need to understand that victory is not found in, in your works, in your efforts, in your ambition, in your zeal, that victory is found in the name of myself. It's when you rely and you rest in me. But I get Peter. And to be honest, I, I could identify with Peter. I mean, what would I do? What would you do? Especially when Peter has just been told, you're gonna deny me three times tonight. And then this opportunity arises. What an opportunity for Peter to say, you thought that I was going to deny you, but let me prove to you how faithful I am. Let me show you how good of a follower I am. And he takes out his sword and begins to prove his loyalty. If I were Peter, I'd feel like I was doing the right thing. I wonder how often we feel like we're doing something noble for Jesus. And what Jesus' response is, no, put that away. Put your hard work and your efforts and, and the weight on your shoulders, would you put that away? Put the sword back in its sheath. No more of this. It's not the way we do things anymore. It's not about your works anymore. It's, it's about my grace now. It's about my love. It's about what I've accomplished. I think too often we can feel like we were on mission, but our efforts in the name of Jesus are, are hurting rather than healing, and they're hindering instead of helping. Meaning I think that it's possible that we could be doing things for Jesus that are outside of the will of Jesus. I think what Peter was doing here, he wasn't trying to rebel against Jesus. He was trying to do this for Jesus, but it wasn't in the will of Jesus. I think it's possible that even today we could be so caught up in, in what we're doing for Jesus that we forget to even acknowledge if it's in his will. From extreme cases to simple cases, as extreme as, as the crusades throughout history or, or, or the picketing and the anger of Westboro Baptist Church, all the way to the simple things that we see, like those stupid Facebook posts that are like, if you scroll past this picture rather than share it in the next 45 seconds, you're going to burn in hell. <laughs> I got a feeling that's not necessarily in the will of Jesus. That we can do even simple acts thinking it's for Jesus, that it's putting on display our works, that is our sword, that we are fighting for what we believe in. And Jesus says, hey, why don't you put that away? Put your sword back in its sheath and stop resting on, on your efforts and your goodness. What this story speaks so boldly to me is that Jesus doesn't need me to defend him. Jesus is a pretty big boy on his own. That Jesus isn't desiring and expecting that we would step up to his defense, that I don't need to defend Jesus, that we don't need to spend our days proving our loyalty 
to Jesus, by, by showing how great of efforts we can put forth, by taking out our swords and, and, and saying what we're against, and by fighting those opposed to us. Like, we do not need to defend Jesus. We don't need to prove our loyalty to Jesus. What we need to do is simply follow Jesus. He says, Peter, get up. Let's go. We're going in this together. Would you follow me? Would you stick with me? Keep your sword in its sheath and just simply rest in the fact that my grace is sufficient, that I'm leading you in the right direction. He says, put your sword back in its sheath. Which, how confusing must this be to Peter? You mean just, just stand here and let Jesus take the rap? How could that be from God? You just want me to stand here, do nothing, and let, let Jesus take the rap. How can this be from God? Because that's, that's the gospel. That's the truth of what we stand on. This is the good news of Jesus, that, that we see Jesus. Before we had a chance to be opposed to it, Jesus took the rap. He took the penalty. He took the payment for our sin. That he would tell us, put your sword away. The work is finished. I have accomplished what was needed for you. The, the good news is so much better than we could expect. We don't even have to fight for it. The truth of the good news is that God, Jesus, he doesn't need us, but, but he wanted us. He doesn't need me, but he chose me. I love uh, this book. I told you last week I'm reading this, this book by this guy named Fred Renich, and I put another quote up for you tonight. He says this in his book. He says, the kingdom belongs to God, and he alone will build it. He uses people like Peter and like us, but we are useful to him only as we let him do the building in his way, at his pace, and by his power. Meaning we become most useful to God when we come to the honest realization that he doesn't need us. That we are just honored to be chosen by him. That he is choosing to entrust his work. He is choosing to entrust his gospel, his good news with imperfect human beings. He, he doesn't need us, but he's choosing to use us. And until we come to that place, there's this, there's this pride that wells up inside of us, or this, this self-importance that we believe in, that, that I, I, am, I, I am needed, that because my gifts are so great compared to other people, that, that I deserve something more than this. We must come to the honest conclusion that, that he doesn't need us, but he's He's chosen us, that we don't need to seek some sort of position. Believe it or not, I'm under the conviction that, that God is going to build his church, whether you comply or not. That Jesus is doing a work in this city, whether I comply to the calling on my life or not. I don't think that God is up there wringing his fingers, just wishing that somebody would comply with his will. I think that God knows what he's doing and that he is building his church and that whether you choose to hop on board or not, the name of Jesus will be proclaimed, that the lost will be found, and that this city will never be the same, that God is on a move, he's on a mission. It's up to us to decide whether, well, I don't deserve this, I didn't earn this, he doesn't need me, but I'd like to be on the winning team, so I'm in. This is, this is the luxury that we have of God calling us. That his love for humanity, his love for the city is, is too strong and it's too real to let our compliance have a weight on whether it's going to work or not. That his cross was good enough for all time, for all man. Are we going to jump on board with him or not? The problem lies when we as individuals begin to, to think, man, if, if I had that position, things would be going better. If, if I had, if I was in charge of that, if I was leading this, and, and we start putting all this the superiority on ourselves rather than realizing, man, I'm just a rock in this church, and how God chooses to use me, I'm just honored to be a part of it. At the same time, it's important to get the right pieces in the right places. Uh, and, and so don't hear me wrong in that. Like, if me and Draylen switch positions up here on the stage, um, preaching might be just as good, but uh, worship would be, would be hurting. Um, so there's value in putting the right pieces in the right place, but as soon as we begin boasting about who we are and our position and elevating that over somebody else, we're, we're wrong. That, that God doesn't need us. He's choosing to use us. As Scripture says, if you boast, you should boast in one thing. If you're going to boast, boast simply that your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. If we're going to boast, if we're going to brag, if we're going to be proud of something, let us be proud that the grace of God has touched our lives. 
that it is an honor, it is a privilege to follow him, to be used by him in whatever capacity, whether it's on a stage or not, whether it's setting up chairs or it's just giving a hug and a kind conversation to somebody, or if it's helping with kids or if it's setting up community, whatever the role is, are we under the understanding that God is just doing something, he's building something, he didn't have to choose to bring me here, but he did, and so I'm just going to serve and I'm going to be grateful that he has called me to be a part of something bigger than myself and be rejoicing that my name is in the Lamb's book of life. We see Peter in this case, he, he reacts to this tentious situation with his, his humanity. But then we see Jesus respond out of his humility. He says, shall I not drink from this cup of suffering the Father has given me. So many times in Jesus' ministry, we see him shake free and escape when he was trying to be arrested. When people were trying to kill him earlier, he was able to even just disappear to transport sometimes, but this time he goes willingly. He says, no, this, this is my plan of redemption. Take me, let them go. And I love as we see in, in Luke's account, chapter 22, verse 51, it says that Jesus not only tells Peter, put the sword away, should I not drink this cup? It says in Luke's account that he doesn't just leave Malchus there hurting and in pain. It says that Jesus goes to him and he picks up the ear and he says he, he touches the man's ear and he heals him. I was just considering this, this situation. Looking at Peter in this moment, he has just got done swinging the sword and, and chopping Malchus's ear off. That Peter, in this moment, Jesus has just said, put the sword away, stop swinging the sword, and he turns, and he sees Malchus on the other side. That Peter, in this moment, he's still, he's still breathing hard. He's holding a bloody sword. I think of the, the stress and the tension in his life. that he, He's got to be so tense in this moment. He's got to be breathing heavy. He's got a sword that's dripping with blood, and he's standing there, and Jesus just told him, put that away. And then you see Jesus, on the other hand, without the stress and the tension. We see him not responding with all this angst. We see him in his humility. Get down on his knee. Get in the dirt. Touch this man's bloody head. This ear that has been severed, picking it up, and in his humility, touching this man who was in complete opposition to him. I was thinking, what a contrast between the demeanor of Peter and the demeanor of Jesus in this moment. Peter is just so caught up and working hard. He's stressed out. He's putting forth so much effort. He's so tense doing this for Jesus. And Jesus, in the midst of that, is just on his knees with the hurting people. As I was studying this today, I just, God just messed me up. I, I was, I had written down some of these notes about the difference, the contrast between Jesus and Peter. And uh, I was kind of just running through this in, in a room all by myself. And as I was getting to this point of this message, God clearly spoke to me. And I wish he wouldn't because it hurt. I, I was looking at, look at the contrast between Jesus and Peter. And God clearly spoke to me. He said, Kyle, who are you more like? And I began to think about even in that moment, even in today. Truth is, I... So much more like Peter. Today I was tense and I was stressed. Based on my schedule this week, I didn't get to really work on my sermon till today. I was out of town for a couple of days. And, and so today I get to work and I just, I get after it. I lock myself in a, in a corner so I can study, so I can work hard and, and have something to talk about tonight. And, and I'm tense and I'm stressed and I'm working hard, not answering phone calls, not replying to texts so that I can do my work for Jesus. And I found myself in the same position as Peter. My sword was sermon notes. But I was stressed, and I was breathing heavy, and I was all tense, and Jesus is saying, my, my heart, my desire is not for you to just put forth more effort and to swing your sword. It's, it's to be in the dirt with the hurting the broken people of this city. I mean, I get so caught up in preaching a sermon and studying my Bible that I miss the heart of Jesus that I'm even trying to preach. So, man, just right there by myself, I just started repenting. I was like, God, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm Peter. I've just been so focused on trying to get a sermon prepared for tonight that I'm not even concerned about anybody else. And I repented, and I apologized, and I prayed. And 
I got back to my sermon notes and I started studying again. And God was like, what are you doing? I told you not to just stop swinging the sword. I told you to put it away. Like, why are you still working on your sword? I was like, I have to preach in a couple hours, God. Like, I have to have something to say. He said, no, I told you to put the sword away. The victory is not on how hard you work and how hard you study, but are you reaching the hurting people in your city? So finally, I was, got my second spanking of the day. And I did. I closed up my notes. It's like, okay. Put my sword away. Shoved it into, into my briefcase. And I was just like, well, what, what do I do? And it's like, well, you got to go find someone hurting and broken in this city. Find your Malchus. It's like, all right. Let's, let's let God work this in my life before I try to speak it to anybody else. So I, I pack up my stuff. I was like, really concerned that I'm not going to have anything good to say tonight. And God's like, you just go let me work in your heart. And he put in my heart this guy named Johnny. Uh, we met Johnny uh, just before Christmas last year. We always take our daughters out to, to find some people that are less fortunate, some, some homeless people, and, and do something for them. We met Johnny before Christmas last year and, and see him every so often. Sometimes we drive by and just roll down the window and Charlie yells, hi, Johnny. And uh, sometimes we stop, give him some food a few times, and and God just told, made it clear to me that you need to go find Johnny. I was like, well, I hope Johnny is at Walmart because that's where I'm driving. And uh, so I drove, and as I'm getting close to Walmart, there's, there's a guy out there holding a sign, but it looks different. As I pull closer, it's, it's Johnny. I was like, I guess I don't have an option but go talk to Johnny. So I pulled in to my parking spot and uh, start walking towards Johnny, and, and it looked like he had just had, like, coated sunscreen all over his, all over his nose. It was just white, 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 like cartoonish sunscreen. It's like, it's kind of hot, but as I walk up to him, I realize uh, it's not sunscreen. It's, it's bandages from the hospital last night. It's like, Johnny, what happened, man? And he's just beat up, and uh, he goes on to tell me the story of, of this accident he had yesterday. And his face is totally swollen, disfigured, and, and, and scraped and scabbed. And his, his face is beat up. And uh, God just told me, that's Malchus. It might not be his ear. I was like, man, could you like, get your ear hurt so this would fit better tonight? Why your nose? So I punched him in the ear. <laughs> I was like, can you hold on a second? I don't own a knife. Let me go grab a Swiss Army. And uh, it didn't happen. But I just started sharing my heart with, with Johnny. I was like, Johnny, this just is amazing to me, what just happened. And I just began sharing my heart of, man, I was just, I got to preach tonight at, at my church. And I was studying this and told him about Malchus and Peter. And it's like, man, I just want to let you know that you're Malchus. And it uh, doesn't matter if you've been opposed to Jesus up to this point in your life. It doesn't matter how beat up, how hurt, how broken you are, that Jesus, he comes to you and, and he heals you. He brings freedom and deliverance to you that's, I just know I'm supposed to tell that to you. And it's no good if I go preach somewhere else if I'm not willing to come find somebody myself. And man, I just need to, I need to tell you that. We invited him to church tonight. He decided to go take a bath in his hotel room instead. So uh, he's not here tonight. But uh, we just talked with him and prayed with him. And just on our way here, Danny and I got him into a hotel room and gave him his last few bucks he needed uh, to get in there. And, uh, man, I just, I tell you the story not to, not to elevate myself, but to tell you, man, I, I'm Peter, and I'm a work in progress that God is working in my heart, and, and it's so difficult for me to put the sword away. But I know what God is calling us as he's transitioning us from Simon to Peter, as he's calling us to be in the zoo. This is the message that I believe is the vision for this church, and I want to let you know I'm, I'm with you. I'm on the same level, that I'm learning what it means to be in the zoo. I'm learning what it means to put my sword away and stop doing things for Jesus and actually start behaving like Jesus in our community. That today, man, regardless of what gets preached tonight, I told Danny, it's like, it doesn't matter what comes out of my mouth tonight. The sermon that was necessary was in my heart this afternoon. That this is what God needs to actually change in my heart, not just give me words to speak, but, but it's something that I need to grow in and I need to change in. And I'm so grateful today that, that God gave me a Malchus, like tangibly, literally. I walked up and was like, dude, you're Malchus. He's like, no, I'm Johnny. I was like, I know, but you're Malchus. Let me explain. That there is this desire of Jesus 
to not just tell us to put our swords away, but to, to reach out and to help the hurting people in our community right in front of us. The healing in this story, I love it because it shows that Jesus was in absolute control of the situation. That he wasn't surrendering because he was helpless to humanity. He was surrendering because he was planning on redeeming humanity. He says, I'm in control. I can do whatever I want. I could heal. I could change. It says I could call down legions of angels to rescue me. But my plan is not to fight. My plan is to redeem humanity. And if you take this even in a spiritual context, that as Peter puts the weight on his shoulders, he takes out his sword and he starts swinging, and he cuts off this person who didn't know the hope of Jesus, didn't know the grace of Jesus, he cuts off his ear. That if we take this even as a spiritual application, that so often when we take out our swords and all we're concerned with is fighting and defending ourselves, our very acts are causing deaf ears on the people that we're intending to reach. How often have you heard people in our very community so turned off to Jesus, so turned off to church because of their negative interactions with the church and with followers of Jesus? It doesn't matter what you say to them, how you preach to them, they are deaf to the goodness of Jesus. That because we take out our swords, we try to debate, and we try to give them theology, and we try to just shove what we believe onto them without the grace of Jesus, just trying to give them information, rather than helping them, it's hurting the situation and giving them deaf ears. Peter, he gives this man a deaf ear. And in this situation, Peter, there's no way he could fix what he just did. Peter can't, can't make this guy hear again. Peter can't heal this ear. The only remedy that this man needs and the remedy that he got was a touch from Jesus. They what our community that is deaf to the good news of Jesus. They don't need us to go back out there and, and, and try to fix the situation. They don't need us to try to give them more information, give them more theology, give them more doctrine, more church services, more sermons. What this community needs, those that are deaf to Jesus, there's one thing that can fix them, and it's a touch from the grace of Jesus. That is why we choose to not major on theology. We choose to major on Jesus. That I'm not here trying to convince everyone to believe the same set of doctrines that I believe. We are here to let the whole world know that Jesus loves you. He's got a plan for you. He's with you. He's for you. And if they can just get an encounter with Jesus, if we can constantly just preach the goodness of Jesus, if we constantly sing and create environments where people can interact with the person of Jesus, that is the only way to cure the deafness in our community is giving them a touch from the person of Jesus. So this guy, Malchus, I just want to look at him for a few minutes before we close. This guy, Malchus, it says that he is the high priest's slave or, or servant. A lot of translations even say bond servant or assistant. He, he's, he's possibly, theologians even debate, if he's in training under the high priest. All we know is that he is, he's essentially the right-hand man to the high priest. He's, he's, he's there with the high priest, serving him. He, he's his right-hand man. He's serving under the high priest. The high priest, if you, if you look at the Old Testament, the high priest, that this guy is functioning, his position, he is, he's the top dog in the church. He, he's the highest in the church ministry world. That it's his op opportunity once a year to go into the very presence of God, to go into the Holy of Holies. He's the guy that, that, that does, does the work inside of the temple, in the church. And we've got Malchus, his, his servants. Whether he was training to become a high priest or not, we do know he is serving in the church. He's the associate to the high priest, and he is serving in the church. And so when we take this context of who he is into this story, it even sheds more light on this. I'm going to do my best to be as brief as I can, but this is amazing what Jesus does. It brings a whole other light to the healing of this man. If you rewind with me back to the book of Leviticus, if you have your Bibles, you can go to Leviticus chapter 8. But if you go with me to Leviticus, this is where Moses is laying down the law, where God gives him the law of, of how to, to facilitate the temple, how to facilitate the priests, how to ordain the priests, what their job looks like, who qualifies, who doesn't qualify. And so in Leviticus here, chapter 8, starting in verse 22, this is the story of the very first high priest, Aaron, and his assistants, his sons, being ordained into the ministry of high priest. It says this, then Moses presented the other ram, which was the ram of ordination. Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the ram's head, and Moses slaughtered it. 
Then Moses took some of its blood and he applied it to the lobe of Aaron's right ear, the thumb of his right hand, and the big toe of his right foot. Next, Moses presented Aaron's sons, the assistants, and he applied some of the blood to the lobes of their right ears, the thumbs of their right hands, and the big toes of their right feet. That this man, this high priest and Malchus, the assistant, knows full well what it means to be approved to be in the ministry. Knows full well this, this action that takes place to, to ordain someone into active ministry in the temple. Look at Leviticus 21, verses 16 through 18. This is, this is a, talking about who's qualified to be serving in the temple. In verse 16 it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Give the following instructions to Aaron. In all future generations, future priests, future people that work in the temple, none of your descendants who has any defect will qualify to offer food to his God. No one who has a defect qualifies, whether he is blind, lame, disfigured, or deformed. No one who has a defect is qualified to serve in the temple. What happens to Malchus's ear is far bigger than the physical pain of having his ear cut off. That in this moment, he is entirely disqualified from everything he's lived for. All of his training, all of his desire to be used in the ministry is disqualified the moment that ear gets cut off. He is now disfigured. He's now deformed. He, he now is entirely disqualified. So when Jesus bends down, he doesn't just heal this man's physical pain. He restores this man's calling. He gets down in the dirt. He picks up this ear, signifying his, his disqualification from ministry. And he, this guy who is, has come to arrest and to kill Jesus, he, he grabs that ear and he puts it back on his head saying that, that you are qualified, that I still choose to restore and believe and I want to use you, although you've been opposed to me, although your behavior should disqualify you, I say that I believe in you, that it's not over, that it's not too late, and there had to be blood on the hands of Jesus as he puts his hand on the right earlobe of Malchus and says, you are qualified, you're ordained, I believe in you. It doesn't matter what Peter says, it doesn't matter what everyone else says, that I believe in you, I've called you, and your even current behavior that is opposed to me doesn't disqualify you. That Jesus, he loves to get into the dirt with Malchus's, people that feel like they've been disqualified. I don't know what your disqualification is. What it is that you've done, or in Malchus's case, has been done to you that makes you feel like I'm no longer eligible to be used by God? Jesus would say to you tonight, I put that blood on your earlobe, I take what looked like disqualified you, and I heal it, I restore you, and I say I believe in you. You may even be opposed to me tonight, but I am for you that I have plans for you, that you might look like Simon tonight, but I choose to put you in the position of Peter. Peter, in this moment, as he, he takes his sword out, he's entirely disregarding the purpose of Malchus. All he's thinking about is defending himself and what he believes in, and how often do we feel like we're defending Jesus all the while derailing the purposes of other people's lives? How often does this happen in the church? where we feel entirely justified for the way we treat people that are opposed to the message of Jesus, when the reality is we're hindering the work of the gospel. Instead of hitting our knees, we're taking out our swords. And Jesus would say pretty clearly, no more of this. Put the sword away. That's not how we do things. Those that are opposed to you, those that are hurting you, those that are against you, that's where you hit the dirt with them. It's where you get in the messes with them and you speak hope, you speak life. Jesus, he heals the man that came to arrest him. He is completely grace. How could you not want to follow this man? Worship team, if you want to come up, I'm going to wrap this up. If you'll flip back to Luke 22 with me if you have your Bibles. And stay with me for just a couple more minutes. Luke 22, if we jump down to verse 54, these are the next verses right after Jesus is, has healed this ear. It goes on to say in verse 54, it talks about the, the times that Peter denies knowing Jesus. It says, so they arrested him. They led him to the high priest's home. 
and Peter followed at a distance. The guards lit a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat around it, and Peter joined them there. A servant girl noticed him in the firelights and began staring at him. Finally, she said, this man was one of Jesus' followers, but Peter denied it. Woman, he said, I don't even know him. After a while, someone else looked at him and said, you must be one of them. No, man, I'm not, Peter retorted. About an hour later, someone else insisted, this must be one of them because he's a Galilean too. But Peter said, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. At that moment, the Lord turned and he looked at Peter. Suddenly, the Lord's words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. And Peter left the courtyard weeping bitterly. I've considered often what this look that Jesus gave Peter, what it said to him. They weren't close enough to exchange words, but, but Peter denies three times, and Jesus looks through the crowd and connects eyes with, with Peter. I believe that though we can't clearly say the nonverbal communication that happens between Jesus and Peter, I believe the consistency of Jesus is saying, Peter, I've always known the mistakes you were going to make. I told you this was going to happen, but remember, I prayed for you. Remember, I told you that I believe in you. You're going to get back up. You're going to strengthen your brothers, that it's not over, Peter, that this isn't the end of you. And we see that Peter, he leaves and he weeps bitterly, that this look caused a reaction of remorse and of, of weeping. Truth is, it's an extremely similar betrayal, denial, and reaction that we see in Judas. That at this moment, Judas and Peter are on a real similar level. They've both denied Jesus. They've both connected eyes with Jesus, and they've both left and wept bitterly. I believe with all my heart the look that Jesus gave Peter is the same look he gave Judas when he walked up to him. That even the last moment, Jesus gave Judas a chance. He says, are you, are you really going to deny the Son of God with a kiss? And I believe that when Judas kisses him and walks away, he must have caught the same look because he goes back and he weeps bitterly. But the difference between Peter and Judas is Judas let his despair lead him to condemnation. Peter let his despair lead him back to the redemptive person of Jesus. See, maybe the biggest difference that we see in Peter's life and Judas's life is their response to who Jesus was. Peter did a lot of things wrong, as we've talked about. He messed up over and over and over. But the one thing that Peter got right is he declared Jesus as his Lord. As we've already studied in this series, when Jesus asks him, who do you say that I am? He says, you're the Christ. You're the Son of God. In John chapter 6, when Jesus says, are you going to leave me too? Peter says, to who else would I go? Only you have the words of life. That Peter, he did a lot wrong, but he made Jesus the Lord of his life. His behavior struggled, but his belief was sincere. As you look at the life of Judas, you never one time hear Judas call Jesus Lord. It's only teacher. It's only rabbi. He was a follower of him. He had good moral behavior on the outside. Nobody knew he was the obvious betrayer. But he never made Jesus his Lord. He was just a good teacher to follow. The proper response to sin in our lives is not self-condemnation. The proper response of repentance that we see in Peter is running back to the restoring grace of Jesus. We serve a God who is always willing to forgive and to restore. Not just restore you to fellowship with him, but restore you to your usefulness of well. as well. He's a God of complete restoration. We see Peter go from a man denying he even knows Jesus to being used by God in incredible ways and finally giving his life, dying for his faith in Jesus. And this can only happen when you come to the place where you put Jesus in position of Lord of your life. 
Not just the good teacher. Not just for what he can do for you, but to say, you are my Lord. That the belief is what changed Peter. Obviously, we've seen so much behavior struggle with it. But he made Jesus his Lord. His beliefs were real. His behavior followed. The foundational, most important issue in our lives and our hearts is, is the decision of our response to the grace of Jesus. Do we respond with repentance, saying you're not just a good teacher, you're, you're my Lord? I believe that in your tonight, there's some that's, that tonight's the night you need to make Jesus the Lord of your life. Not just a good historical figure. Not just some guy that you pray to in tight situations. But a guy that you follow. A guy that you put your hope and your trust, that you put your confidence in. That you realize that it's not you proving your loyalty, it's just trusting in his grace. Maybe tonight is the night where you put your faith in him. I believe maybe tonight some of you identify with Malchus. That maybe you've been opposition, in opposition to Jesus. I want to tell you tonight that when Jesus talks to you, he's not mad at you, he's not angry at you. He gets on his knees to speak life, to speak healing, to say, I believe in you. There's still hope for you. It's not too late. You're not too far gone. Some of you tonight might be like Malchus in terms of you feel completely disqualified to be used by God. You've done too much. You've messed up too bad. Or maybe even like Malchus, something has been done to you. You feel unworthy. You feel disfigured. I want to tell you tonight that Jesus comes to you. He speaks love. He speaks hope. He speaks encouragement. Maybe tonight you're like me and you identify with Peter. The truth is you can be quick to action. You can be quick to draw the sword. Tonight Jesus would speak to you as he spoke to me. No more of that. It's not about you proving anything. It's are you willing to be on mission? Are you willing to be in the zoo? Are you willing to go see the Malchuses that are on our sidewalks today? Are we too caught up in just consuming our own Christian culture? That all we're doing is we're, we're causing deaf ears to the people we say we're trying to reach. What good is it if we're locked away in our churches, in our Bible studies, in our offices, if it's not translating to how we live in our city? And I'm working on it, I'm guilty. I repent today, and I choose to continue to work on this. I believe that God comes to, to Peter as well. And as he looks at me and as he looks at you, he says, man, I knew, I knew the future struggles. I want you to know I believe in you. I love you. You're my rock. I don't need you, but I chose you. I don't need you, but I want you. I could have put you anywhere, but I picked here. I could have picked any time, but I picked now called you to be in the zoo, not just as a consumer, but to restore the hurting and the broken Malchuses in our city. Would you stand with me as we bow our heads? Father, I pray that tonight we'd be open and responsive to you, to what you're doing in our hearts. God, you know the, the, those of us tonight that need to put our faith in you, that need to make you the Lord of our lives. You know those of us tonight that are like Malchus, that feel like we've, we've gone too far, we've been too opposed to you. Those of us tonight that have, had, have been hurt so deeply, have been abused and we feel like we're dirty, we're too messed up, that we can't be used by you. Gotta pray for those of us tonight that are Peters, that have been so caught up in our, our consuming of Christian culture that we've forgotten about the Malchuses that you called us to reach. Gotta pray that you just speak to our hearts, you stir in us. We don't just hear the word tonight, but we become implementers of the word. God, I believe that the only way that we can be changed is when we're touched by your grace. It's not more teaching. It's not more theology. It's an encounter with you tonight. So Lord, I pray that you touch every heart, every Peter, every Malchus that's in this room tonight, that we don't leave here without a touch from Jesus that brings healing, that brings restoration, that speaks life, that speaks hope, that speaks future. Lord, that you would just touch and stir in hearts tonight.
We're going to spend our last few moments together just worshiping. If you still want to take communion, it's open to you. If you want to give, the, the baskets are still out. And I want to let you know that we want to be here to pray with you. Any of these situations or anything else going on in your life tonight, we, we invite you to come up here. My wife and I are going to be up here. If we're already praying with somebody, we've got a whole team of people. Todd's on his way up. We can pray with you tonight. But will you worship and will you pray and will you encounter the grace of Jesus with us? We'll close in just a moment.